0: Well, good morning. Um, I'm described in many ways by other (laughs) church leaders. A wise old birdie is a new one to me. Interfering old fishwife, I've also been called, (laughs) by a particularly good friend. Um, Don Smith, when he welcomed me to the Sussex team 16 years ago, said, this is Simon. He's going to annoy me and get right up my nose, but I think he'll be good for East Grinstead." At you, Don. Those of you who knew Don will imagine him saying that publicly in a meeting. That was my introduction. Um, what I don't—I don't, I, I see that, like a proper Baptist church, your pulpit and your clock are aligned. <laughs> I'm assuming somewhere under here there's a baptistry. Yeah, is that, is that, is that, yeah. There you go. You are a Baptist church. Did you know that? <laughs> a pulpit, a clock, a baptistry. There we go. Um, what time do you want me to stop talking? <laughs> I don't say in about one minute. Today. What time will the pork be done? That's the, <laughs> you don't care, do you, really? You're not cooking. Um, half past. Okay, well, we'll see how we go on. Um, let me read you some scripture. This was a good place to start. This is Acts 2, uh, verses 42 to 47. If you've got a Bible with you, you can, uh, you can open that, whether it's a real Bible or on your phone or iPad or whatever. Acts two forty two. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Uh, The likelihood of me falling off this platform is high. (laughs) Uh, our platform at at Jubilee is a bit higher but a bit wider so kids if I fall off you will have something to tell your friends tomorrow. Um, It's great to be with you. Uh, Yeah I do lead the team at Jubilee in East Grinstead and they uh, send their blessings. I bring uh, uh, blessings and welcomes also from Pete and Sarah Benton who I know you are getting to know. They were with us for many years. Pete Uh, Was one of my team for many years, and they are imminently moving to Berlin. They're now within a kind of eight week countdown. I can tell from Sarah and Pete's tweets that they are increasingly panicking about how they're going to do it, but they are going to do it by the grace of God. So it's great to be with you. I have some questions for you. The first one is this What would you like God to do for you in 2018? What blessing would you like God to bring into your life, into your community, into your family, into your workplace, into your neighborhood? What blessing would you like God to do this year? So it's interesting, the word about birthdays, it fascinates me about Christians. If you're a Christian here this morning, it fascinates me how intentional we are about certain areas of our lives. It fascinates me how intentional Christian men could be about their cars. I have friends in Jubilee, and they would have a spreadsheet for cleaning their car. I kid you not. They are intentional about the state of their car. I have other friends who are unbelievably intentional when it comes to their money. You're talking spreadsheets, PowerPoint presentations to their children at the beginning of the year. I have done that, but only once. (laughs) It amazes me how intentional Christian men and women can be about the insides of their houses. Hours spent. How many Christian homes have I walked into? And so we're decorating the lounge, and the lounge is covered with little two-foot squares of different paint colors. I walk in, they're all the same. But no, this is off-white, this is pearl-white, this is ocean-white. And they can't decide, they spend a year being intentional about the colour of the wall in their living room. I have other Christian friends who are unbelievably intentional about their careers. If you ask them where they want to be in their career, in a year, in two years, in five years, in ten years, they will be able to tell you. They will know the courses they are going to do, the training they are going to equip themselves with. It is incredible how intentional Christians can be about their lives. Until you say, what might God do this year? I don't know. I'm sure he'll do something. Sometimes we go super spiritual. Well, the Lord is sovereign. He will do as he wills. And it fascinates me how the most important aspect of our lives as Christians is often the place we are least intentional. Why is that? Now I know it's about grace. I know God is transforming us from one degree of glory into another by the Spirit. We know it's a work of God. But friends, can I encourage you to hear the word that was brought and ask yourself the question, how intentional am I being about my walk with God? And my question for you this morning is how devoted are you? How devoted are you? I've asked you, what would you like God to do? What blessing would you like God to do this year? And I'm asking this question, how devoted are you? At Jubilee, we're asking ourselves this question at the moment. What does it mean to be devoted? We're told in Acts 2, 42, they, that's all of us, devoted themselves. They devoted themselves. And this morning, I want to look at this phrase, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. How devoted are you to this fellowship? I'm not asking you, what do you do? You might go, oh, I'm very devoted. I'm on three teams. I'm on the chair team, the kids team, and the car parking team. I'm not asking you what you do. I'm saying, in your heart, how devoted are you? How devoted are you to this fellowship? Now, before I dig in, I want to make one disclaimer. I'm going to talk this morning a lot about what happens as a church community. But I'm well aware that God is as interested... As passionate about what most of you are doing tomorrow morning, getting on a train, going to work, going to the school, going to the college, meeting with a client, whatever it is you do, caring for children or elderly relatives, I am aware that God is passionate about what happens tomorrow morning. God is, there is no sacred secular divide in the mind of God. Jesus spent 10 times as much time growing up and running a household and working as he did in ministry. But this morning, I wanted to ask us this question. How devoted are you to this group of people in here? When they hurt, do you hurt? When they rejoice, do you rejoice? When they cry, do you cry? So we're going to ask the question, what is fellowship? What does fellowship mean in the Bible? And we're going to look at how we build fellowship together. And we're going to look at why it matters. That's where we're going. So what is (coughs) fellowship? I grew up in a Baptist church. That's how I know that a Baptist church should be organized like this. And for many, many years at the end of every single service, we would say the grace to one another. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship fellowship of the Holy Spirit. You really are Baptists. (laughs) I I feel so at home. I could tell there was a special anointing (coughs) in the room. What does that word fellowship mean? It's become a bit of a religious word, hasn't it? What does it mean? Well, the Greek word, as you no doubt know, is the word koinonia. Koinonia. And it's a strong word. It's a much stronger word than fellowship. In the message, the message translates this little bit of scripture like this. That day about 3,000 took him at his word were baptised and were signed up. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles, the life, together. It's rare for the message to actually get it right. But here it does. It's very helpful, the message, in terms of helping us read Scripture and get Scripture in us. But in this paraphrase, it almost unpacks better than something like the NIV, this word, koinonia, because it talks about this life. The life. You see, koinonia does not have its foundation in the fact that you love one another. No, koinonia has its strength in the fact that Christ loves you. You see, koinonia is about fellowship around Jesus. It's not talking about friendship. It's not talking about membership. It's not talking about being nice to one another. It's talking about community that has Christ at its center this is what John says in one of his letters he says that which was from the beginning which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked at and our hands have touched this we proclaim concerning the word of life he's talking about Jesus the life appeared we have seen it and testified to it and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship, koinonia, with us. And our fellowship, koinonia, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. He goes on to say, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie." And do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son purifies us from all sin. Philippians 1 says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership or fellowship or koinonia in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in Christ Jesus our Lord. You see, koinonia, fellowship has Christ at its center If Christ is not present, there is no koinonia. There is no true fellowship. I play rugby on a Saturday afternoon, and uh, I love my club. I love the fellowship we have as a club we are united around a a common game a common cause and there's real friendship there and i'm called under scripture to love those at my rugby club and i do over the last decade they've become real friends and we care for one another but i don't have koinonia with them i don't have fellowship with them because we're not one in christ now i'm very fortunate there are three or four guys in that rugby club who are also part of jubilee And the relationship I have with them is different. Because we are one in Christ. We are indivisible in Christ. We have fellowship in Christ. And do you know what? The other players in our team, they notice. They know there's a difference. They know that I love them. I'm the um, club chaplain now, which is a great privilege. And the guys know I love them. I'm for them. I pray for them, I encourage them, but they know with Matt, or with Joey, or with Dan, or with Ash, there's a different relationship. Why? Because we have koinonia. We have biblical fellowship. Indeed, this is why we are described in the church as brothers and sisters. If we were in a different tradition, if we were in a Pentecostal tradition, we would call one another brother and sister. When Ian and hosted the meeting so well, he would have said thank you to this brother and this brother and this sister. Thank you to the brother, he would have said, for leading us in worship. Thank you for the, to the sister who sang so beautifully. That's what he'd have said. Wouldn't he? Thank you to the young brother on the drum kit. What a great drummer. Yeah. Okay? All right? Yeah. Invest in that young man. I've noticed as I get older that policemen, teachers, and drummers are all getting younger. <laughs> See, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. That is a biblical reality. I am declared under Christ a son of the Father and a brother of the Son. Therefore, we are related. We exist in a state of koinonia. Well, I don't really like some of the people in my church. Tough. So, you are related. If Christ is your brother and God is your father, then the person sitting next to you is your brother or sister in Christ. That is the biblical reality. Koinonia, therefore fellowship, is a unique state with its foundation in the life, death, resurrection, ascension and return of Christ. It's a given it's not based on you or me. It's based on what Christ has done and will do. Again, Scripture. It's not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation or koinonia in the blood of Christ. And it's not the bread that we break a participation, a koinonia, a fellowship in the body of Christ. Because there's one loaf, we who are many are one body. For we all share the one loaf. It's not complicated. There's one Christ. We love saying to people, don't we, on our Alpha courses, there's one way to God. Christ is unique. Absolutely, Christ is unique. Therefore, fellowship, koinonia, is unique. Being part of the church is unique. There is nothing like this. Oh, but I have better friends outside the church. That's fine, but you need to know this is unique. There is nothing like this. Not because we are good, as we've learned from your newest elder, he's quite bad. Yeah, Wasn't that honest before you laid hands on him, was he? We're not good in and of ourselves, but in Christ we are a unique community because of what Christ has done. Therefore the question is, How do we build? How do we grow? How do we develop fellowship? How are we intentional? Well, we're told in Scripture, they devoted themselves to the fellowship. The Greek scholars amongst you, of whom I'm sure there are many here, will know that the Greek words used there are plural, active, definitive, and in the present tense. I'm just catching some of the others up. What we need to hear is that it's plural. They devoted themselves. If you've ever gone to a leader and said, this church isn't loving enough, which I'm sure none of you ever have, but has happened to me occasionally in ministry, we have missed the point of this passage. They devoted themselves. It's plural. Leaders don't build fellowship. Believers build fellowship. All leaders do is create an environment where that fellowship can be built. But ultimately, it is us as believers, whether we're a leader or not, who build fellowship because devoting yourself to the fellowship is plural, it is active, it is definitive. But that means it defines who we are, it is ongoing. The word koinonia is used elsewhere in Scripture to describe a gift of money given from one church to another. It's active. To be part of the fellowship is to be active. Uh, before Christmas, I'm um, playing rugby and uh, I'm on, on the floor and someone very helpfully stamps on my face and in my hand. <laughs> you know, and It's one of those moments where it was probably one of my own players, to be honest. Um, but I had my, my left thumb, which my thumbs are pretty weird anyway, but my, my left thumb, I snapped the ligaments in my left thumb, this little part of my body. Okay? For eight weeks, this part of my body was not in active fellowship with the rest of my body. <laughs> okay? The rest of my body was not pleased with this thumb. It was a passive member of the body. To be honest, I could have cut it off at any point. It would have made no difference. I'd have bled a bit, I suppose. But now men didn't have physio. now it's an active part. It's an active part of the fellowship. It's properly in fellowship. Being devoted to the fellowship means to be ongoing. Paul says to the church, for Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution to the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. That word make a contribution was koinonia. They were happy to be in fellowship with another church. They were so happy to be in fellowship that being in fellowship meant saving up some money and giving it away to people they didn't even know. Why? Because they were one in Christ. Fellowship is active. James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners in a fishing industry. That word partners is fellowship, is koinonia. They got up in the morning early while it was still dark and went fishing with Peter because they were in fellowship with him. They were active with him. Friends, being devoted means we are actively in fellowship with one another. Being devoted means there are no passengers and no spectators. There may be seasons in our lives when we can't do as much. That's the reality of life, isn't it? Okay. So we're not just talking about what you do. Don't judge fellowship by what someone does necessarily because there are different seasons in life. But all of us should be active in our hearts towards that fellowship. And do you know what? If someone's active in their heart, they tend to be active in their action. Have you noticed that? People sometimes say to me, oh Simon, you can't judge on what someone's doing. And they're right. And they'll say, well God looks at the heart. And they're right. But do you know what? When I look at people I've worked with and been in fellowship with and done ministry with down through the years, if their heart is on fire for the local church, they'll also be doing something. I have never met somebody who is on fire in their heart for the local church fellowship and doesn't give and doesn't serve and doesn't participate and doesn't pitch up. Because actually, Jesus said, out of the mouth come the secrets of the heart. Actually, through our hands and our feet and our wallets come the secrets of our heart. Devotion does come out through action. I am in fellowship because of the work of Christ. And my new state in Christ will mean I'm active in the activity of the fellowship. And I'll do that through the apostles' teaching, through prayer, and through the breaking of bread. See, if I'm devoted to the fellowship, if I'm in Koinonia, of course I'll be devoted to the activities of the church. How can I not be? I belong in Koinonia because of Christ's activity. That is my unchanging security. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah? I am part of the fellowship because of what Christ has done. Therefore, I am secure. My identity is Secure. Gwen and I, my wife uh, Gwen and I were chatting just on Friday. Friday's our day off and we we get some time to chat and sometimes pray together. And we were just chatting and praying through some images, uh, uh, some issues. And we were were just saying to God, Lord, keep reminding us our identity is in you. Our children have, uh, have grown 21 and 24. We've got a young team around us at Jubilee. And we're aware there will come a time when our kids don't need us as much even for money. (laughs) Please, Lord. (sighs) When there'll be better preachers, when we won't be an elder and an elder's wife, when we won't be leading a small group, when we won't be Keith Alpha, there'll come a time when we'll walk in a room in a church setting, and you know what? No one will care whether we're there or not. And in that moment, we need to know our identity is in Christ. Because if our identity is in all that other stuff, we will sit at the back and grumble and be those irritable older people in the church who the young leaders wish would move on. (laughs) I'm sure there are none of you like that here. I am not looking at the back row. (laughs) Hi, back row. Very young on the back row, I say. Do you know what I mean? I'm secure in Christ. I belong in Koinonia because of his activity. That is my unchanging security, thank God. But I work out my belonging in love, in service, in generosity, and in commitment to the fellowship. That is my responsibility. I want the security in Christ. I really do. That means I have to take on the responsibility of being in Christ. And the responsibility of being in Christ is to be in fellowship. This is why it was complete anathema to the early church that you could be a Christian without being active in the church. And yet, we meet people like that, don't we? Oh, oh yeah, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Great. Do you go to church? Oh No. You don't, have to be, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian, people say. Now, they are theologically correct. Their Christianity is based on justification by faith in the work, life, death, resurrection, ascension of Christ. That is theologically true. You do not have to go to church to be a Christian. That is correct. You just won't find any Christians in the New Testament who didn't go to church. You just won't find them. You won't find anybody in Scripture, Old Testament or New Testament, who will say at one hand, I'm part of a covenant with God, without also saying, therefore I'm part of a covenant with the people of God. That is the reality. Passive fellowship is an oxymoron. A bit like Microsoft Works. (laughs) That's a little joke just for the IT people. So the key question in our last, I'm reading that clock, as 55 minutes. Our key question, therefore, is how do we maintain fellowship? Sometimes I'm asked by friends at the club and other uh, friends, what's it like leading a church? And, And there are different responses I can give. But one of the things I will say is this. It's a bit like servicing a moving car. Okay? Now, I know there are people who can change a tire on a moving car. They put it up on two wheels, and then get out, and they change the car. and they It's very impressive if you see it. Have a look on YouTube. But generally, it's pretty tricky. And in, in my experience, maintaining koinonia in the local church is also pretty tricky. See, koinonia fellowship sounds glorious as a theological concept. You've all nodded appreciatively about the theology. Well done even those of you who didn't quite understand it. <laughs> okay, well done. Just learn to nod and smile. <laughs> okay. See, we appreciate the theology. The trouble is me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> we'll do some prophetic ministry in a moment. <laughs> okay. The problem's me. It's my imperfection. It's my insecurity. It's my disappointment. It's my annoying habits. As Charlie Brown famously said, he was a great theologian for those of you who don't know, I love the church. It's just the people I can't get on with. You see, how do we make every effort to maintain unity? That's what we're talking about here. At its core, fellowship is about unity. Its foundation is our unity with Christ. I am seated in heavenly places with Christ. So are you. That's our security. But we have to work out that in fellowship, in unity. How do we make every effort to maintain unity when, let's be honest, some of us are pretty hard to get along with. As I say to Gwen, my wife, I know I'm tricky, but imagine if I didn't have the Holy Spirit. (laughs) And she says to me, I do, Simon, it's a scary thought. (laughs) So how do we maintain unity with people as frustrating and annoying as me? Well, I thought I'd give you some help, given that we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Firstly, remember we've been born again. You see, I entered into Koinonia when I walked out of the tomb with Christ. Praise God. But to walk out of the tomb with Christ, I had to be carried in dead. That's why we baptize people in the way we do, don't we? That's why we don't just sprinkle in our tradition. We go all the way in. That's why you have a hole in the ground. That's why in your nice modern building, you dug a grave. Because when someone is baptized, they are recognizing they have died to self in Christ. I have died with Christ. Therefore, I have died to self. If I only serve for human praise, I have not died to self. If I only give to the church, if the church spends that money on my favourite things, I have not died to self. If I only forgive when people ask me to, I have not died to self. If I only follow leaders when I like the direction I'm being led, I have not died to self. If I only sing when I like the song or listen when I like the preacher, I have not died to self. If I only do my job well when I receive praise and someone important is looking, I have not died to self. If I only honor my neighbor when they honor me first, I have not died to self. If I'm only nice to people that like me, I've not died to self. If I only invest in those who might be able to benefit my hopes, my dreams, or my career, I have not died to self. If I haven't died to myself, my rights, my preferences, I have not died to self the only way we can maintain unity with people who frustrate us and disappoint us and annoy us is to recognize we are already dead and the dead don't get annoyed by annoying people because they're dead even the dead like listening to my preaching We need to die to self. I am so looking forward at one level to glory. I'm looking forward to my resurrection body, which amazingly is going to be even better than this one, I don't know how. (laughs) you know what I'm most looking forward to? Not having to think of myself. Because it's so exhausting, isn't it? So exhausting thinking about ourselves. Will people like me in this setting? Will they listen to me? Am I wearing the right clothes? Have I got spinach in my teeth? All these things. I, but all these things we worry about. Do I look fat in this outfit? Does this outfit suit me? Yeah? Am I trendy enough? Have I got the right friends? Have I got enough friends on Facebook? Am I watching the right things, reading the right things, thinking the right things? It's exhausting, isn't it, this self? If only it was dead. If only it was dead, and it didn't matter whether I was trendy. If only it didn't matter if people listened to me. If it didn't matter if people noticed me in the crowd. If only that stuff didn't matter. If only someone had died, so that stuff didn't matter. Oh, praise God. Someone has. You see, I can only get disappointed with you if I'm thinking about me. I can only get frustrated with you if I'm thinking about me. I can only get angry with you if I'm thinking about me. But if I've died, and I'm thinking about Jesus, and how you're doing with Jesus, funnily enough, the fact that you sat in my chair on Sunday or parked where I always park, and don't they know I always park there, because that's where we always park, (laughs) which I'm sure never happens in this church, Some of that stuff doesn't matter. doesn't matter. We need to remember we've been born again. We need to remember we are dependent on the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've noticed, but Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, is in between Acts 1 and Acts 3. And that's the sort of theological (laughs) genius that you learn at university. Okay? What happens in Acts 1 and the beginning of Acts 2? The pouring out of the Holy Spirit. What happens in Acts 3 to 28? Revival. What sits in between? They devoted themselves. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, wait in Jerusalem until you've got more knowledge, until you like each other more, until the political climate is better, until the house price drops and then you can move somewhere to plant a church. No, no. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the Holy Spirit. Unity outside of the Holy Spirit is impossible. Which is why when you're really annoyed with someone, the very best thing you can do is spend 30 days praying for them every day and asking the Holy Spirit to transform your heart towards that person. It's really annoying because God always does it about day three. And usually makes you then go and talk to that person, which is also really annoying. Because you had a long list of things that they needed to sort out, which the Holy Spirit has just sorted out in you, and you have to go to them and say, I'm really sorry, I need to sort these things out. Can you help me? It's the work of the Holy Spirit. We are dependent on the Holy Spirit. I cannot love you in my own strength, and I can guarantee you can't love me in your strength. You need a lot of Holy Spirit to love people like me. Thirdly, unity matters, so sort it out. Sort it out. Okay? Matthew says this, if your brother or sister, hear those words. So these are the people who are in fellowship with you, your brother or sister. Why are they your brother or sister? Because they're in Christ with you. If your brother or sister sins against you, says Jesus, go and point out their fault. Just between the two of you, if they listen to you, you have won them over. Or you have restored koinonia. It's not complicated. The most annoying bits of Scripture are the bits that are really simple but I don't want to do. Okay? If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. And the tone of the Greek is not go and point out their fault. That's how we read this passage, isn't it? Adam, he's done something bad and I'm going to tell him. And if he doesn't, repent. I'm going to get a couple of other guys who are a bit cross with Adam. I'll choose them carefully. <laughs> uh, I'll make sure they're two people who've also got annoyed with Adam about this habit he's got, and we will tell him together. And we will all point our fingers at him until he sorts out. And if he doesn't sort it out then, we will go to the church and the eldership. And if he doesn't sort out then, we will publicly humiliate. That's how we read this passage. It's a nonsense Absolute nonsense. My sister, I've got one sister. She's older than me and I'm ashamed to say more intelligent than me. (laughs) If she's upset me, I just want to be restored. If Gwen's upset me, I just want to be restored. I don't want to point out her fault. But what all this is saying is there's something in the way. Get it out of the way. I love the way it says, there are two people that I have permission to talk to about this issue. Okay? Just imagine for a moment, me and Adam have got an issue. We haven't, just to let you know. Okay? I don't think. Are anyway, you all right? <laughs> oh, that, was, that was close, wasn't it? <laughs> okay. So, you know, so I've got two people, biblically, that I'm allowed to talk to about it. Who are those two people? God and Adam. Okay, why do we talk to other people then? Why do we share it for prayer with other people? Stop doing it. Now. If I've got a problem with Adam, I should talk to God first to check actually whether it is a problem that Adam's caused or more likely me. Nine out of t- ten times, I won't need to go and see Adam because the Holy Spirit will point out it's all me and my insecurity. Always fun when God does that. The one in ten, I get to go and talk to Adam about it. I get say, Adam, I feel like we're not in fellowship. I've spent some time with God, you know, and, and I've kind of repented some stuff, but I just feel maybe that the way you introduced me earlier <laughs> was maybe not as honouring as it might have been. That's so naughty. <laughs> Oh, we're making a serious point here. <laughs> that I am. We get it sorted. Can you imagine being in a church like that? I've been in ministry thirty years. Probably in that time, I've seen hundreds of people, if not thousands of people, leave local churches. I would say, on one hand, I can count the number of people who've left because of genuine theological differences. Another handful because of style. All of the rest break down in relationship. That's then been hidden under style or theology. Oh, the music's too loud or the preaching's too long or chair's are the wrong colour. Red is a very good colour. <laughs> Unusual in Seven Oaks, to be honest. <laughs> Amazing. Imagine a church where when there was an issue between two people under Christ, they talked to God first and then the person and didn't talk to anybody else about it. We would maintain unity, sorting out. Fourthly, prevention is better than cure. I rarely fall out with people I have a real relationship with. I rarely fall out with people I pray with on a regular basis. I rarely fall out with people who I pray for on a regular basis. I rarely fall out with people who I ask real questions and take time to listen to their answers. I very rarely fall out with people who I have built a depth of relationship with. We have more in common than anybody else in the world because we are under the same God and we believe in the same Saviour. And yet we have surface conversations all the time. How are you doing? I'm good. Fine. Good week? Not bad. See you next week. We need to build real relationships, friends. And that takes time. That takes actually going to a small group. That takes time going to a prayer meeting. That takes time thinking, do you know what? We both get the same train to London every day of the week. Maybe once a month we could sit together and actually talk to each other. And know everybody else in the carriage would be looking at us going, what are you doing? You do not talk on the train. You read on your Kindle and pretend you're doing emails for work. Yeah, but We can actually build relationship. So it's much better not to fall out of fellowship. And the way we do that is by building fellowship under Christ. And finally, why does it matter? Well, two reasons. Firstly, I asked you to think maybe right down at the beginning of a blessing you would like God to do for you this year. I've got some good news for you. God will do it. So, you know why? Because Psalm 133 tells me this. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe, It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there, where there is unity, the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Sometimes I get cross with God because he's not answering my prayers. But I'm out of fellowship with someone. I'm out of fellowship with someone. So I can't answer my prayer. I can't make my friends saved. There are loads of things outside of my control. I should be praying about those. But there are things that are inside my control. One of those is fellowship. One of those is unity. One of those is honor. One of those is encouragement. One of those is affirmation. One of those is listening. One of those is care. One of those is love. They're all in my control. It's about time I started doing the things that are in my control and let God look after the things that are in his control. The other reason why this stuff matters is that you are a prophetic people. You are a prophetic people. See so this koinonia, this fellowship, which at the moment is unique to the church, is meant to be how the world works. It's meant to be how Sevenoaks works. It's meant to be how Kent works. It's meant to be how government works. It's meant to be how business works. It's meant to be how the nation works. It's meant to be how families work. This was God's best. He walked with Adam and Eve in the call of the evening. They were naked and knew no shame because they were in perfect fellowship with God and perfect koinonia fellowship with one another. And God is looking to restore this nation and the nation's And the way God is doing that is through the church. And the local church is a prophetic statement to its community. And when the the world looks in, it should look at a people who are so unified, so in fellowship, with all their different colors and flavors and beliefs, but so in fellowship that the world should look in and go, I want to be part of that. There is a prophetic calling when we devote ourselves to the fellowship. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you that we are secure in Christ and that in that security we can choose to love one another. Would you help us press in to that with greater devotion this year? Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.